0: Let's go. go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make
1: the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hi, folks. Al Martin here. Welcome again to Making Data Simple. Uh, You wouldn't believe it today. I'm recording from the office. Yes? This is a miracle, uh, but uh, the reason I'm doing that is because nobody else is here. So it's me alone, essentially in the office, but it's nice to get out of the house every so often. Before I begin, I always wanna thank our producers. They do a fantastic job. Kate Main and Steve Templeton work together and they they get us great guests. Very difficult, I can tell you. They do a good job of it. Again, welcome to Making Data Simple. Today, we're gonna be speaking with Cactus Rosie, and it's something near and dear to my heart. Price. So I'm going to learn something today. Let me give a little bit of an intro with Cactus and then I'll I'll turn it over to him to do it justice. But Cactus is the founder and former CEO of Elephant and Company. I hope I got that right. Yeah. Which is focused on building smarter marketplaces through AI powered pricing. Cactus has led Elephant to success in working with a Brilliant set of engineers and marketplace experts to focus on improving pricing, transparency, and the efficiency of the bond market. More than 30 years in sales, developed an acute sense of how pricing affects the commercial transaction, how to get it right, how to get it wrong. Graduate degree in business analytics from NYU and lives in Salt Lake City. I know you give many examples in your book of companies that are doing pricing wrong I mean you don't have to mention the company's name uh, but can you give us a couple examples I mean I think that's a good place to kind of start to set the stage of you know where pricing goes bad and versus you know those that are getting it right
0: Very very few companies out there that have really instituted something that is personalized and individualized uh, from a pricing perspective. Even when you think about the airline industry, which is probably the poster child for differentiated pricing, we all know that when we get on an airplane, the person that's sitting in front of us or behind us could end up with a significantly higher or lower price uh, for their seat for a variety of different reasons. Even that industry, it does a great job of maximizing revenue for the seat based on supply and demand, which fluctuates dramatically over the course of a week, but does a really bad job in my opinion Of generating any sort of loyalty through that process don't take my word for it yeah i don't think there's very many people out there that are particularly loyal to the airlines and that's why what is perceived as a homogenous good is just you know subject to rampant price competition so one of the reasons i wrote the book is because i'm trying to shift the conversation a bit uh, around pricing to something far more personalized to where for example delta knows I'm a loyal Delta customer and they know exactly how often I've flown. They know what routes I've flown. They know what my preferences in terms of seating and whatnot. And yet when I log into the Delta website, reveal my identity to them through the login procedure and go to buy a ticket, if you were to sit right next to me and have not logged in, you and I would still end up with the same price. That does not make sense to me. And I don't mean to be harsh towards Delta. I really like their company and I like the way they do business. I think this conversation needs to be had by Delta, frankly, uh, to use them as an example, which is why is it that someone who's a the highest tier in their loyalty program flies with us, uh, obviously, very regularly, ends up getting the same price? Isn't there a, a more individualized thing we can do for him or her that is consistent with the outcome we're trying to achieve, which is that this person only flies Delta for all 100% of their travel needs? And that's obviously a large and sophisticated company, but you can shrink down that sort of general example to companies of all sizes and start the discussion around how should we think about our customer base and do we want to reward and, in fact, uh, generate increasing levels of loyalty. I mentioned loyalty. We haven't talked about it a lot, but we should just probably touch upon it. Yeah. I associate loyalty with recurring revenue streams. Obviously, that's a, an abstraction, but conceptually, if you are a intermittent, user of of a service or a good, or, you know, if you're an intermittent purchaser and you are able to be turned into a regular purchaser, that revenue starts to get closer to the concept of recurring. We probably all agree that recurring revenue is sort of the holy grail of any business.
1: Certainly is the day, yes. Yeah, certainly is.
0: That's the sort of the, the place you want to be. Conceptually, how do you get your customer base, broadly speaking, to shift as much as possible towards consistent patronage and sort of get them closer and closer to this idea of recurring. I don't necessarily mean recurring in the literal sense of, uh, you know, you're mandated to go to this restaurant every Friday night, not necessarily, but conceptually on any given day, you have a bunch of different people you can let into your restaurant or into your hair salon or come into your concert. How are you going to ensure that you're getting yet, those who have already demonstrated loyalty to you are getting a differentiated experience these are the types of questions that I think are really important And the outcome of these discussions should be something along the lines of well we have focused on our better customers we have increased the loyalty of our better customers and lo and behold I can sort of count on this person to do business with me what used to be episodic is now once a quarter or perhaps in a different business or industry, it might be once a month or maybe even once a week in some cases. But that is the outcome of really being thoughtful around the customer base, collecting data around them and using it effectively to incent them towards loyalty. That's essentially in a big picture, what the book encourages uh, the reader to think about.
1: You've certainly convinced me that uh, we got a lot of work to do already on pricing. In my mind, Businesses should always be focused on value and revenue first. The margin will come if you're doing the right things. And to your point, businesses want to to drive loyalty or, or reoccurring revenue. That's why we're in a subscription economy at this point in time. Yeah, And individuals want an experience. Uh, and so that strikes me as, you know, going back to the restaurant example that I had is I want that personal experience like anybody else would. And it doesn't seem like, you know, as many times as I've been to the restaurant in question here, it wouldn't be that difficult. And if I was at the restaurant you mentioned, and they came by with a bottle of cab, cause they know I, I like uh, cabs and, and said, look, this is at cost for you guys. Thanks for coming in. Man, that would make me even like the restaurant even more. I f- I'd feel special about that restaurant. I'd be recommending that restaurant. It's not that difficult that's my point.
0: I assume, you know, you might not know this about me, but we live in a world of sophisticated data analytics and, you know, machine learning and AI and deep learning and this and that, and we could go on and on. That's not what the book's about. The book's about a a much more straightforward approach towards understanding your customers and being able to do little things for them that make a huge difference in their loyalty. I have to tell you, I'm constantly surprised by what a poor job companies do who are expected to know something about me because they must collect this information. Let's even forget about restaurants because, you know, although your example is absolutely correct, you've been in there, you know the person's name, they know your name, they know you made a reservation, there should be some information there. They should be using this information to enhance this experience and improve your loyalty. But, you know, you can even think about hotels. I can't tell you how many times I've experienced the situation where a, a hotel explicitly treats me as if i've never stayed there before even though i've stayed there 10 15 20 times <laughs> it's crazy to me and they have to know who you are and they have to check your id it's not even a data collection process that exists outside of their normal course of business like it might at a restaurant for example terrible your many many listeners and the people you've had on the show or live in a world where we understand the uses of data analytics and, and sort of applications of data What's so interesting is you can make such a big difference on businesses and on people's lives through relatively simple uh, suggestions and relatively simple data programs. You don't need to get into sort of huge uh, cloud-based kind of running spark in the cloud and capturing a petabyte a day or all this kind of craziness. For many businesses out there of all sorts of sizes, just sort of rethinking their approach to data and how they should be thinking about their customers uh, and using this information to improve loyalty, I think is a huge first step. And if you are using customer information to improve loyalty, my proposal is think about
1: price. Again, you got me thinking now because, uh, you know, you do this right and you do the assessment rights, you really don't have to do a ton of discounts because you're given a personalized experience. Just the hotel that you mentioned, if they act like they know you, it's going to make a huge difference just by acting like they know you and knowing what your preferences are. But back to price, again, I get the personalized pricing. That's where we need to go. And we need to use the technologies around us, AI, machine learning, et cetera, to get there. We've got them; it. it should be relatively straightforward. We are doing that here at IBM for many clients and we're doing churn, et cetera it's still amazing to me how few the retail spaces that we go to really leverage that kind of technology, uh, to your point. right? Let me ask you this, though. All right, so got you on the personalized pricing. What pricing models do you find work the best? Let me give you an example. I mean, I've always kind of struggled with, there's a lot of pricing models out there, but there's some that, by example, uh, require heavy discounting. In other words, <laughs> part of the pricing is, you know, includes 50, 60, 70% discounting. I mean, that's what they're expecting. Even when you go buy a car a lot of times, you know, I guess you always have somebody that's going to go in there and purchase on list price, which is amazing to me. Does that work anymore? What I would say to you is
0: I believe that the emergence of technological tools around pricing and around actually price discovery and lowest price discovery in in particular, are a huge threat to a lot of the existing models out there. So I believe that as we're moving forward in time, we're getting increasing levels, and increasingly inundated with discounts and offers that are made with no regard to the recipient of this discount or offer. So what I mean by that is, if you do business with a website, I'm just arbitrarily going to pick one overstock.com. There's nothing against those guys. I'm sure they run an amazing business. So I'm just arbitrarily picking them. You go and buy something from overstock.com. Maybe it's a rug or something like that. And you will be inundated with discount emails from overstock that will have very little to do with what you bought, uh, whether you're interested in buying anything else from them. You name it. It just general. And so I use this as an example to say there's this widespread pollution from modern marketing campaigns that is really destructive to uh, being able to hold your price. Even if you don't do what I just said, uh, there are third party processes out there. A great example is Groupon that diminish the value of your good or service. My mom happens to be a hairstylist and uh, she's still working and she's had a hard time with Blowouts, you know, where her customers will go to get their hair blown out uh, ahead of a nice event like a Thursday night dinner, or Friday night dinner, that kind of a thing, because Groupon promotes such heavy discounting of blowouts in general that while she still has her customers coming for the special occasion blowouts, the sort of Tuesday lunch type of blowout, they just pursue, you know, some sort of a discounted a, a Groupon. Uh, type of an incentive out there. So that's just an example of a sole proprietorship that is not interested in discounting, that is still suffering the effects of the widespread marketing campaigns and all all these different uh, sort of discounting taking place on the internet. And then you have probably heard about third party browser extensions, whereby you can be in the process of buying something and the extension will automatically notify you that this good is available elsewhere at a lower price they're neat from the perspective of the consumer it's kind of an interesting technology from from the perspective of a seller or a producer a real threat the last thing i'd say on this note by the way is while you and i have our head around e-commerce and we can definitely talk a lot about mobile commerce we're still in the very early stages of this voice assistant commerce i'm not trying to be predictive that voice assistant commerce is the way of the future i'm only suggesting that if it comes to pass that voice assistants become a a bigger mechanism to do commerce, Uh, it's actually going to definitely be a huge problem for companies because by definition, voice assistants are not going to present you with three or four different prices on the same good or service. If you say you want a pair of Levi's 501s, 32 ways, 36 length, that assistant is going to be programmed to go out there and find the cheapest pair and just buy it. That I think you and I can agree on. So we are rushing headlong into a world of many new threats that simply didn't exist a decade ago. And I I believe that's why so much of the dialogue around pricing and pricing approaches or formulas or inherent, you know, implied discounting and you can go on and on, have really not taken into account some of the emergence of these widespread discounting campaigns, couponing and third-party extensions, and we could go on and on. It's still, I think, a, a sort of a whole new world out there in thinking about pricing in light of all the changes that commerce is is undergoing.
1: I must be different than most people, though. I just like getting the right price for the value. In other words, I just want to know I'm getting the lowest price you know, relative to whatever I'm buying. Obviously, there's a reason... You know, all these companies are pushing loyalty programs or trying to throw uh, coupons in your face and stuff because they must work. They must still work and get people to pull the trigger. Have you bought anything
0: at CVS lately, the pharmacy slash a convenience store, CVS?
1: I have not. I have not actually.
0: If you walk into CVS and just get yourself a couple of household goods, you're going to get a receipt through the checkout process that's going to be a minimum of three feet long. I have gotten receipts <laughs> from them that were – I'm 6'3", and the receipt was almost as tall as I am, and this was just – Uh, item after item after item uh, of various sorts of uh, not only are these coupons but i might add to their credit they are targeted they you know if you put in your loyalty number when you shop there they know what you've bought in the past so then they they're actually pretty smart i i mentioned that we have a newborn my wife and i and so they we're constantly getting these diaper coupons from these guys 40 percent off a packet of pampers and whatnot it's remarkable but i'd only tell you that yes these premiums do work in general they don't work with every customer and this goes back to the point that i was making around understanding who the individual is who is al martin what does he buy how often does he come what can we do to turn him into a more loyal customer these are the important questions
1: but do you think that's changing with the uh genographic in other words uh you know, if you go to CVS, I'd imagine the older generation is visiting CVS, and, and they may be more inclined to coupons. That's what they're used to. Well, the younger generation is experience experience subscription subscription, and they just want to know that they're getting the best deal for the best bang for the buck.
0: I think the the younger generation is much more app oriented. I believe that that's correct. Uh, my son's my not my newborn, obviously, but my son is I have a twenty eight year old son, and he's much more app oriented. So he gets these push notifications that you know planters nuts are two for one for the next week and you know and yeah apparently he likes planters nuts i guess but while these <laughs> campaigns are getting better i think that in general and you know we're using cbs as an example but in general we're still in the very early stages of having this discussion in all sorts of businesses as to how should we think about our pricing how should we think about our customer base and what information should we use from our known customer base to start to make smarter decisions around generating loyalty.
1: How does go to market, like kind of behavioral economics play into pricing? In other words, are there certain tactics that can be used to get clients to pull the trigger versus that that complement pricing?
0: Short answer is yes. Uh, I do not want to represent myself as an expert in behavioral economics, but I think one of the things that we are also experiencing sociologically is the rise of scarcity as a motivator. And so we're seeing this yeah. a lot in many areas. We've obviously seen it already in luxury, ultra luxury, where uh, scarcity is a big motivator and price actually is a very small motivator. We understand that. But we're seeing it actually all over the map now, even with young people and you know the sneaker phenomenon. I don't want to sound like an old man it's not a phenomenon it's a, it's actually it exists but it, I just don't fully really understand it
1: <laughs> it fully exists Yeah, no.
0: it definitely exists and you've seen a lot of brands actually achieve quite a high level of notoriety and uh, create a lot of brand value around limited releases and uh this perception of scarcity and and the cool factor I guess that comes along with scarcity we call it a cool factor if it's amongst young people on the street and if it's amongst Women of means, I guess it's exclusivity. It's the same thing. That being said, uh, this is something that does factor into, I think, a company's decisions around how they want to approach their customer base. From a behavioral economics perspective, I don't want to represent that I'm some sort of an expert, but I do think that scarcity slash exclusivity is becoming a bigger part of the customer behavior discussion.
1: Yeah, it probably happens when the economy goes well versus not so well, I would admit. That's right. Uh, One more thing. You talk about in your book, uh, you put a large emphasis on personalized marketing. In other words, companies placing emphasis on a personalized marketing and not enough on pricing. Could you talk more on that?
0: This idea of personalized marketing and personalized campaigns is something that has gained a degree of momentum within the marketing world. I don't want to represent that I'm an expert in marketing by any means, but it's something that has certainly i've been exposed to in my day job just thinking of uh, and you know reading in the press and and reading about startups and, and what they're going after and i think that what it's really saying is target your customer and send sales promotional messages or promotional messages of some sort to your customer that's much more targeted than it would have been in the past. Of course, you need uh, data in order to be able to do such a thing. That's the general premise. Let's increase the relevance of this message. Let's let's increase the engagement with your customer through understanding what they are looking for, why it is they're doing business with us and, and various other elements. What I have yet to see is that progression from thinking about how we're going to message this customer to how we're going to price the customer that's essentially what i'm trying to insert or raise the issue that hey that's great that you've got someone on the hook um, that you have identified some sort of a behavior that you've made them aware of of some type of a an opportunity maybe it's scarcity maybe it's a new a, a new product whatever it may be let's also be thoughtful about how we're providing this customer a differentiated price because we are theoretically trying to give them a differentiated experience otherwise there would be no point in doing this personalization let's introduce price as part of that personalization package for the customer
1: but it's not always lowest price in that case well, okay, you're 100 yeah.
0: percent right it's not there's a couple of things that people do when i talk about price one is they assume in all cases i mean discounting and i don't as you said there's there's gonna be a lot of different reasons where it's not the discounting is not achieving what you're trying to do, which is trying to maximize loyalty. If this customer has no sense of loyalty to your business and you give them a discount, it's going to be totally ineffective. And on the flip side, if the customer has high levels of loyalty in the, in the restaurant example that you used, yeah, yeah. they may not be looking for a discount, actually. They may be looking for something very different, such as, as you mentioned, a, a premium of some sort, a table when they can't otherwise get the table. It could be a myriad of other things along those lines.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. All right. So we've talked a lot about price. Anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to hit on? Any topic that uh, we missed?
0: You know, one thing I only wanted to tell you about price, sorry to bring it back to price. I do apologize. But so often people will say, well, I would be annoyed if I found out someone got a better price. And that's actually a very interesting statement because as a business owner or as a pricing manager at a larger business, whatever it may be, ask yourself, If the customers that you are not interested in retaining are annoyed that the customer you are interested in retaining has received a a lower price in this example, is that a bad outcome? I would argue that's not a bad outcome. So long as the customer you're interested in retaining, whose loyalty you're trying to increase is happy, if it comes at the expense of a irrelevant customer being sad, that's a great trade.
1: That's one thing you're right. We didn't get into, so I'm going to ask you the question now. How do you go about that? You do mention in your book to be very on top of who are the customers that you want to keep and those customers that are not the right customers. How do you differentiate a good customer from a bad one?
0: It's interesting. It's obviously very business specific, but it's almost very difficult to find a business that can't answer that question. I don't pretend to be omniscient there's just you know an infinite number of different businesses out there but almost every business owner or if it's a larger company i would say cmos uh, sometimes uh, chief revenue officers or people that are focus on the customer side of the business they almost always know with whom they'd rather be doing business and how they define a good customer in fact to to ask you al in your own business you mentioned you have a, a high level of responsibility to ibm and you have a diverse range of customers i'm sure it would be pretty easy to answer that question applied to your own business case i think
1: it is but i think it also if you're a customer centric uh business and you always try to do right by the customer it's very very difficult to embrace the concept of firing the customer, which sometimes I think is, is required. Well, you I know mean, what, like... firing
0: a customer is a lot easier to understand. If you say we are customer centric, A, eh? and we understand that there's something called scarcity. Our resources are not infinite. If you have infinite resources, we can have a different conversation, but most every business out there, large and small, this includes Google and Apple and you name it, all the way down to single you know, sole ships, have constraints on their resources and have scarcity within their business. And if that is true, then you, you need to make decisions around, well, I'd love to be all things to all people, but since I have introduced this concept of scarcity, I'm now comfortable saying these customers I'm going to fire.
1: Well, I think you hit it on the nail on the head and that everybody has a scarcity and resource. If you don't effectively choose the right customers to your point, uh, something's going to give. I think and that's right. Even it's going to be your differentiators.
0: I think that's right. And so often we end up spinning, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease and all these other, that's right. you, know, you know, folk sayings around customers. But in my professional experience, I found you can end up with this funny reverse 80, 20, where 20% of your revenue is taking up 80% of your brain space.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
0: Not where you want to end up.
1: Pareto's principle. Yeah. I presume as part of your, methodology or strategy around pricing is to identify, you know, one of the first step it has got to be to identify the right customer. Yeah. Define the want. right
0: customer. And then the data will allow you to identify them.
1: That's good advice. Anything else we miss?
0: No, I think that's it, sir. This has been a, an well, excellent man. conversation.
1: How's the book doing?
0: You know, my publisher tells me it's doing really well (laughs) when you write your first book. If Joe Biden's not carrying it uh, in his hand, getting on Air Force One, (laughs) you feel like you're a failure. But publisher says it's doing very well. It's got a lot of reviews on Amazon. It's definitely hit bestseller uh, list on Amazon, which is great. I think it's going to be a long haul because it's a strategy level book. It should have a relatively long shelf
1: life. Well, it should be on everybody's shelf, speaking of, so I uh, highly encourage folks out there to get it. Uh, look, you've got to take a lot of pride in just writing and have the discipline to getting the book out. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that discipline before we break here. A lot of people have ambition to write a book. Uh, many don't get it done. Yeah. How did you uh, put that discipline together to make sure that you got it out?
0: Well, it did take me a couple of years, and it took you know some rewrites, and it's a bit more of a process than I had expected going into it. The publisher I worked with was really good about, you know, and the editors were really good about being encouraging, but also being engaged and striking the right balance between sort of understanding you're a busy person and you have a lot of things going on, but also understanding that you have to continue to make progress. So uh, I feel like I had a great support from the publisher and they kind of held my hand. And frankly, I, I'm still really interested in the subject. I, I still think that um, we have a long, long way to go in terms of understanding how technology is affecting the pricing conversation and how the pricing conversation is, is affecting loyalty. And so uh, I feel really energized and that energy allowed me to just continue to keep riding and pushing.
1: Is there a uh, follow-up coming then? Pricing 2?
0: You know, it's fun. Pricing 2 electric boogaloo. Um, <laughs> a former classmates who's actually a, a senior data scientist at Google uh, approached me and said, look, we ought to start to dive into actual formulas and actually create an open source library of pricing tools as a addendum to the book and just put it up on the web open source it And so that'd be cool yeah this is a conversation i'm having we'll see where that gets to because you know again as you said it's easy to talk about it's a lot harder to actually roll up your sleeves and do it
1: dude what am i gonna do with the bond market here what is your advice on the bond market
0: you know it's interesting (laughs) the government bond market i think is a place of real peril so that'd be government bonds and the reason i say that is because inflation much to many people's surprise appears to be rearing its head slowly but surely and so it it, i think it's a place you have to be really pretty nimble corporate bonds on the other hand although it is true also that um, with regards to corporate bond spreads um, or the premium above a government bond yield that you get when you go into a corporate bond is is relatively small but as a percentage of the government bond yield I think corporate bonds still have some areas of, of attraction um, corporate balance sheets I think are going to end up being in better shape on a going forward basis than they have been looking backwards so uh, although this is by no means financial advice and I want to be crystal clear I would say that uh, when it comes to the bond market, ask your financial services representative about corporate bonds.
1: All right. So we don't give financial advice here. So seek your fiduciary. That's right. But, uh, <laughs> but thank you for that. All right. Cactus Razzi, the man with the golden name. Thank you for being here with us today, talking to us about data, how it uh, helps drive pricing and different strategies therein. Everybody needs to go out and get Price the Book by Cactus Razzi.
0: Thanks, Al. It's been a real pleasure. I really appreciate it
1: greatly you know my pleasure and for the listeners as always i will see you on the podcast hey hit me on almartintalksdata at gmail.com for any uh, content information or if you'd like to be a guest i'd appreciate it love to hear from you thank you and talk to you next time
0: Until next time, let's go over and out.